we'll go ahead and uh, get started. We may get some people coming in a little late. Let's go ahead and I'll, I'll start us off with a prayer here. Father, we thank you for this time that we can come together and and finish the the journey that Peter took, and we ask that you will use it to guide us and help us in our lives and give us the 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 confidence that that you'll take care of us and that you'll be there for us at all times, and that even when we are not able to do what is best you will take care of us and you will help us to to do it we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy in our lives we ask your blessings on tonight that we can be alert and be able to to follow journey follow the journey of peter we thank you in jesus name amen okay well <clears throat> i want to say one thing i really enjoyed last week for two reasons one i wasn't teaching <laughs> and the other was I, I really enjoyed I think there's name Michelle was that her name um, Michelle yeah Michelle um, I, I really loved her energy you know because she, she was just you know very excited and very energetic and it was uh, great to, to hear what was going on and how things are happening all across the world and stuff um, so that that was really a, a, a great time Today we finish up the journey of Peter, and um, I titled this one, I, I always give, like to give two titles of things, so the first one is Hard to Change, and I think you'll see how that goes throughout this. The other one is Peter's Greatest Failure. Um, many of us probably think that his denial was his greatest failure. I, I think we're going to find that this was, that, that, that what we're going to be looking at tonight is even a greater failure that's something that probably could have destroyed the church and but thankfully another person stood up to peter so first of all you know we you know how you was in in high school and stuff you had a review right before test well we're going to have a test here at the end of the class no we're not but <laughs> we, we are going to have a review to kind of give us back to knowing some of the things that we were looking at before and so uh, we're just going to kind of quickly go over some of the things that we've already looked at. We looked at here um, where uh, Andrew, Peter's brother, found out about Jesus. He was, he was a, a disciple of, of John the baptizer. And he uh, saw Jesus and followed him. And then Jesus said, you know, come and, and talk to him and everything. And then right away, what does Andrew have to do? Anybody remember? This is, your, this is your test. Find Simon. Find Simon, right. It's right up here. It's pretty easy. I have a like, open book test. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had to go find Simon, who later then, Jesus said, called him, called him Cephas, which uh, translated in Greek as Peter, uh, which means, what does Cephas and Peter mean again? Rock or stone, yeah. So, um, right away, one of the first things that Jesus does is rename Simon as Cephas, who then we, we call Peter, because we tend to, to go with the Greek name most of the time. 
However, we have noticed that there is some times where he would, like Jesus would call him Simon Peter. Uh, sometimes he was called Cephas. You know, so it's kind of interesting how this name changed. And I think tonight we're going to see some things that might be interesting because of that. Then we also saw that um, Jesus at one point saw them about fishing. Uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. You know, not, not James, Peter, uh, uh, Jesus' brother, but a different James. Um, and he uh, asked them about, uh, you know, if they caught any fish. They didn't catch any fish, right? And so he tells them, you know, go out into the deeper water and put down your nets. And they caught a bunch of fish. And because of that, then Peter, or it says, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And then, uh, as we see here, you know, he's kind of acting penitent and everything. Uh, we don't know if he actually bowed down like this. But I think it does say he went to fill at Jesus' knees. So he, uh, he, he prostrated himself. Um, he says, uh, Jesus says to him, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people. Okay? So basically, he becomes a disciple. They, they leave all their nets and their boats, and they go and follow Jesus. In Matthew, then, Matthew 14, we... Uh, we have Jesus, he's just fed the 5,000, and he's sending his disciples off in a boat, and while they're out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, there's a storm that comes up, and they're all kind of frightened. Jesus comes walking to them on the water, and um, they think it's a ghost at first. And uh, Jesus says, it's me. Um, and then Peter says, well, if it's you, tell me to come out on the water. And, uh, and he, Peter did. And Jesus did first tell him to come out. And Peter did go out on the water. And he's doing real good until what? He took his eyes off. Of, but why did he take his eyes off? Well, because he was afraid, wasn't he? He was afraid, and he begins to sink, and at least he had the, the right idea that he goes, Lord, save me. You know, after all, he's standing on the water, so he can, <laughs> he's the only thing that's near him to be able to save him. And so he says, save him, and then Jesus responds to him, uh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Good. Key thing, though, he was afraid. He, he got fearful. He did get out of the boat. I mean, that, that was pretty brave to start with. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting sometimes that fear and bravery kind of are at the same time. You know, because sometimes you get yourself in a fearful position because you've done something really brave. And sometimes you have to be brave because you're afraid. So, you know, we, yeah, we can give him a little slack maybe on that one. Okay, in Matthew 17, we have the transfiguration where uh, Jesus takes his three main cohorts, John, James, Peter, up on the mountain. They always seem like to go to the mountains all the time. I can understand why it's so beautiful. It? <laughs> but uh, during that time, there's a time when Jesus begins to glow. We, we, we kind of figured out, at least it says Jesus. We don't know if Elijah and Moses actually glowed, but Elijah and Moses are there. 
I'm still wondering how they knew that they were who they were. Did they see a picture of them something, a painting? I don't know. What's that? Name tags, yeah. Okay, Jesus gave out name tags to everybody there. Okay. So uh, they, they see them, and you know, Peter comes up with this great idea to build some shelters for each one of them. I still don't understand why, but you know, he, he, he says, that, I'm going to build some shelters for you guys, and then all of a sudden, um, they just, uh, a voice comes out and, and everything and says to listen to Jesus. And uh, when that happened, when they heard this, they fell face down, terrified. So again, they're getting scared, aren't they? They're getting uh, really afraid of things here. Jesus comes up, touches them, says, get up, don't be afraid. You know, we, we kind of have learned that Jesus had to say this a lot, you know, in, in the, uh, when he was working with his disciples. In Luke uh, 18, we have uh, where a, a person comes up to Jesus and says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus tells him, um, you know, to follow all the, the uh, what the commandments say. Uh, he says, you know what the commandments say. And, and basically the guy says, yeah, I followed them since, since I was a lad, you know, a, a young man. And at the end of that, Jesus says, but one thing you lack. What was that? Sell everything you have and follow, come follow me. And then he leaves very sad and everything because he was a very wealthy person. Um, and then Jesus says, you know what he said? Something about a camel. <laughs> it's easier for, yeah, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, uh, which you know there's lots of speculation on what that might mean. But um, uh, it then, then for a rich man to be able to enter the kingdom of heaven, and Peter, of course, steps up and goes, "We have left." all to follow you and he could probably actually say that because remember they did leave their boats and stuff behind so he probably had some good reason for saying that but it also was kind of prideful too a little bit and you know Peter's pride sometimes catches up with him okay in Matthew 16 um, this is after okay well, let me get this in my, my train a little bit here um, Jesus has basically said, who does the people say that I am? And the, the disciples respond to him saying, some say you're Elijah, some say, believe John the Baptist. And I don't know if it was a third one or not, but anyway, um, yeah, one of the prophets. And uh, Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter gives a great confession, right? He says, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. Yeah. And um, Jesus says to him, well done. You've learned this not from men, but you have learned this from, from my Father in heaven. And Peter kind of took, I think it kind of went to his head a little bit maybe, and because Jesus then had started talking about that he was going to have to die and then three days rise. So he, from then on he starts saying that. And Peter then takes him aside and, and uh, basically rebukes Jesus. Now, can you imagine that? 
rebuking the Son of God. You know, that, that seems to, I mean, talk about bravery. <laughs> that probably wasn't the best thing to do. Anyway, um, he says to, to Jesus, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Like, just, I'm going to make sure that this doesn't happen to you. Jesus then responds, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Okay? Again, another thing that sometimes Peter did not understand, did not seem to grasp, that this was not just a here-on-earth type thing that was happening. That this was going to be something bigger than that. Okay, then, of course, we have the denial. And the denial, Jesus is, is uh, told at the Last Supper, Jesus told Peter that you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. And so, Peter, you know, being Peter, says, never, Lord, or else all the others will forsake you, because Jesus also predicted they would forsake him. All the others will forsake you, but I will never forsake you. I will die for you, or I will go to prison. You know, that's one of the version, uh, one of the gospels says. Um, but what happened was that Peter was accused. How many times? Three times, right? That he was accused of being a follower of Jesus. And what does he say? Never knew. Never knew. I don't know the guy. Yeah. You know. Don't have anything to do. I'm just happen to be here listening to all this, but no, I, <laughs> I don't know the guy. You know, I don't know what you're talking about. And then the rooster crows, um, and he realizes what he's done. That Jesus had uh, told him that he was going to do this, that this was going to happen. And so he goes outside and he he weeps bitterly. Then we go to Acts 10. I think that was the, the one that we did two weeks ago. Acts 10 is the story of Cornelius and Peter's interaction with him. We see some things here that are happening. One, uh, there's a, as you can see, the animals and the sheep kind of thing laid down. And Jesus is, uh, excuse me, Peter is told by a voice, I don't know really who the voice is, we think we find out later on it was kind of the Spirit, uh, get up, Peter, and kill and eat. And Peter responds as a good Jew, Surely not, Lord. I've never eaten anything impure or clean, or, or unclean. And then a vo the voice speaks to him again a second time, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Now, this is pretty confusing for a, a young man who's deep in the... Uh, Jewish faith because they have lots of dietary laws, right? And they hold very strictly to those. Um, and so he's been told, being told something to, to do something that he's not supposed to do in this case. So he's thinking about this vision and the spirit, you know, like I said, the spirit is, seems to be the voice, says to him, 
Simon, there's the three men that are looking for you. Get up and go downstairs. And do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Why would he have hesitated, you think? They're Gentiles. And? No, they're not supposed to associate with them. And so the, the Spirit is saying, don't even hesitate. I mean, I, you better not even think about not doing this. You need to go do this. This is a pretty strong command to, that's given to him. And uh, while they're talking, uh, they, they go inside, and Peter lets them know, basically, as you're well aware, because um, Cornelius has probably been in the Palestine area for a long time as a soldier for Rome. And so he knows Jewish law. In fact, he's been a devout follower of Jehovah God. So it says, you are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with, with or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or in, unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. So he doesn't object at all. He doesn't hesitate at all. He just goes. And then, all of a sudden, as Peter is speaking, and I'm leaving out, of course, a lot of scriptures here, but all of a sudden, as Peter is speaking, the Gentiles that are there in Cornelius' house begin to speak in tongues, begin to, that the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they begin to speak in tongues. And uh, Peter says, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. For they received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So basically, they become Christians. They become followers of the Christ. Then it goes back to the uh, to where the Christian, the Jewish Christians are, and they are, are they happy with him? No, because interesting thing here is that. You went to, to the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Well, there's lots of things with food in this, all this, isn't there? You know, they got, uh, uh, Peter's told to eat unclean animals and everything, and here he's supposed to go and meet with unclean people, and he actually eats with them. And that it was a big no-no um, for his day. So, that brings us up to date here. We're going to be looking in Galatians 2, so you can turn there in your, your uh, devices, whatever, whatever device you have. If you have one that flips like a page, or if you have one that you have to you know, kind of go like that with, that's fine. We're going to start off with Galatians 2, 6 through 10. Okay, first of all, who wrote the book of Galatians? Okay, Paul wrote the, the book of Galatians. Who did he write to? <laughs> the Galatians, <laughs> no, the, the churches in Galatia, basically, is is what who he wrote to. Did, were these people just Jews, or were they a mixture of Gentiles and Jews? They were a mixture, and we we know that because does anybody know why he wrote? What what was the main subject? Uh, the main subject. 
that was a big part of it, all right. But basically following the law. That uh, the, there was a group of, of Jewish Christians that believed that you know, the men should be circumcised, but also you should follow the Mosaic law as well. And so the whole book is dealing with the law versus living by the Spirit. And that's why we have you know, some verses that, that talk about fruits of the Spirit, uh, you know, and things like that, or fruit of the Spirit, um, is, is because Paul was dealing with that misconception that was given to the Galatians. Now what he's going to do here in, in Galatians, the second chapter, is he's going to use a situation that had developed earlier that we don't know exactly where, but uh, at some place where some people came and kind of messed things up. So Galatians 2, 6 through 10, we'll start there. Okay, this, this is where Paul is kind of laying some groundwork for something that he's going to, to uh, basically talk about here. So we're going to be kind of going through this together here. So we're going to start off with the first part here. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. Kind of an interesting wordage here, I think. Because he, he says, those who were held in high esteem. Who might he be talking about? Well, he's going to tell us a little bit. But. <laughs> there were Jews coming up from Jerusalem. There were Jews coming up from Jerusalem. But I think that the high esteem persons are someone else. Well, he's one. Actually, three <laughs> that we're going to be looking at. What is Paul, how does Paul respond to their being called high esteem? Doesn't make a difference to me. But he says, God does not show favoritism. So he's kind of saying, I, I think here, I think he's being a little bit sarcastic, maybe? You know, because he's saying that they were held in high esteem, but maybe he's trying to say, they're not really any more high esteemed than anybody else. And he went, he adds to it, okay, it make no difference to me, God does not show any criticism. They added, oops, yeah, let's go back. I didn't read this one out, but they added nothing to my message. What does that mean? What's he saying there? They, they did not find any fault with the message they had. Good, good. That, that's excellent because, yeah, they did not find that there was anything needed to be added because they didn't find any fault to it. This message was the message that they believed that he should be speaking. And to whom is he speaking? Gentiles. Gentiles. Right. This, this is a key thing here for this because the fact that they didn't alter his message or say anything about his message being wrong shows that something that's being said that they said that they said that he said they, 
wasn't there. And then that these people, some people are adding to, trying to add to the message. So we go down, it says, on the contrary, they recognize that I've been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. So there's no difference there. The message is just the same message. There's nothing added to their mess, to, to Paul's message to give to the Gentiles than what was added to, than what Peter did to the uncircumcised, but to the circumcised, to the circumcised, yeah, to the Jews. Same message. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. Okay? So Peter, you notice he's calling him Peter here too, that this is a key thing that something changes here a little bit. Then he says, James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed, remember I asked you what, who was the esteemed? Those esteemed as pillars of the church gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. So, he's saying, those that you're saying that have been called esteemed and have been called the pillars of the church, they gave the fellowship to Barnabas and Paul, they gave the right hand of fellowship and recognized that their message basically is correct. So who's listed there? James, Cephas. Ooh, it's interesting. Why does he call him Cephas now? Huh? He's not listening. Yeah, someone's not listening. Yeah, someone hasn't listened. Yeah, but also, I think something else too. Maybe we'll see it in a little bit here. Um, and John. Now, here's an interesting thing. Paul is writing to the Galatians, and he's writing them to them about the fact that um, they do not need to be circumcised, basically, and they don't need to follow the Mosaic law. So they, these, these uh, esteemed people are three people that are very high in, in a lot of our um, ideas of the apostles, right? Because James, Peter, and John, they're the three that also went up to the, and was on the transfiguration, right? They were the three guys that were with Jesus probably the most. In fact, I think in the Garden of Gethsemane, they were the three that he took further than the other disciples. So they are three people that were really close to Jesus. So if they know anything about what Jesus wants, you would think it would be them, right? Okay. Now, was that James the uh, apostle or James the brother? This is a good point. Yeah, I, I, that, that's a good point. I mean, there's so many Jameses, aren't there? <laughs> uh, I think that first, you're, you're probably right. That first James, I think, was one that was later on martyred um, in, in, early in the, in the um, book of Acts. So, but this is still the brother of James. Thank you. <laughs> Brother of Jesus. And it's still Peter, Sexus, and John. You know, there. So they're still 
very important people in this. They are esteemed, they've been esteemed as pillars. I think again, I'm thinking that Paul might have a little bit of sarcasm in saying this because of what he says a little bit later. Uh, they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked, so there is a little bit that's added to their message. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing that I had been eager to do all along. So the only thing, the only thing that they ask of Paul when he goes to the, to the Gentiles is that they remember the poor. Pretty easy thing to do, right? <laughs> no, no, no issue there. Okay, so we see that there high, that there's some people who are being held in high esteem. We find out that those people are James, Cephas, and John, and that they added nothing to the message except that they would remember the poor. Galatians 2, 11 through 14. Okay. So, I don't know where Paul is writing this from exactly. He might, it might be in Rome. But, um, he says that when Cephas came to Antioch, you notice he's continuing to call him Cephas again. He's keeping that, that Cephas name. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that they might by their hypocrisy, their, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Okay, key thing in this part is that he's calling him Cephas. Cephas is the aromatic form of Peter. Okay, they both mean rock or stone. Why would he go back and forth like this? Why would he say, at the first of the, this uh, chapter, call him Peter, and then change it to Cephas in this situation, and call him Cephas. At the beginning, he was acting like one of the Gentiles, but now he's been acting like one of the Jews lately. Okay. He switched his name from the Gentile name to the, the Greek name. To, to, to the Aramaic name, yeah. Kind of, kind of saying, you're acting, you're, you're not acting like the Peter. And if you think about it, who gave him the name Cephas? I think also he's trying to remind him, who is your master? Who is the one that you are to listen to? Not these, not anybody who you might think is esteemed. You need to listen to Jesus. So, he says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. This is why I think it's probably his greatest failure. It's because he knew what he was supposed to do. 
but he purposely, he made a decision to go against it. His other things, he just kind of did because he didn't really know what he was doing. This time, he knows what he's doing. Now, the word condemned is a pretty harsh word, isn't it? What do you think it means? <laughs> Man, I missed that one. <laughs> yeah, but what, I mean, when, when we think of, when, if we were to say someone's condemned, um, especially in a spiritual sense, what do we usually think of? We think they lost their salvation. I don't think that's the case here. I don't, I, yeah, you got it wrong. In fact, Brenda uh, shared with me uh, some of what the, uh, what the word means in Greek, and it basically means uh, doing wrong, being guilty of a wrong type thing. And th this one here, uh, there's some, uh, I, I don't believe it's that he lost his salvation, but he was, just, he was guilty of a wrong, a very strong wrong. Uh, in fact, in fact, I, I went uh, and looked at some of the other translations just to kind of see what they say. And uh, King James Version says um, that I was I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. You know, he he's 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 to blame for what was happening at the particular location that this was happening at. And another other version says, uh, this is the New English translation, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I posed him to his face because he had clearly done wrong. Okay? So he, he's, Paul is letting him know, you are wrong in this. There's no, there's no middle ground here. That this is, you've done wrong. Um, another version says, um, that he stood self-condemned. I don't understand that one too well, but yeah, it does sound a little bit different. Like he, um, he, he has done something that himself that he's condemned himself, basically. All right. So then we see, um, for certain men came from James. He, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. So here we have a situation that, that Ted mentioned earlier that certain men came from James, the brother of Jesus. So what does that mean? Well, he was one of the elders of the church in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. uh, he, of course, knew Jesus very well, mm -hmm. but um, he was one of the pillars of that church. Well, that's what that's, you know, we, we, we see there is that, that he was a pillar, he was a esteemed pillar of the church, right? Okay, but what does it mean that they came from him? They were sent. That's what it sounds like, right? Yeah. So, I, and I'm thinking... Wait a minute. So, if we remember James, if I remember, he he was kind of the leader of that uh, that council that was in Jerusalem after Peter 
had uh, gone to the Gentiles and they came back and they're going, what, what are we going to do about this and everything? And he came up with a plan that, that kind of solved uh, everything and, at that time and stuff. So did he say anything at that point about circumcision? That's what it kind of indicated, you know, in, in that that in that council, right? Right. I mean, they gave some things about blood and stuff like that, I think, too. But you know, anyway. Um, okay. So I'm trying to think. Would he have sent them to talk to to the Galat to well, not to the Galatians in this case, but to the people that uh, where he was where where he told them basically to get circumcised? Would he have said that? I hope not. My, my. I, I think he was worried that Peter was not going to be uh, maintaining himself as a Jew, enough as a Jew. Maybe, we'll see. Okay, so I, I got three things that might be what happened. Either James sent the men to actually teach that circumcision was needed. I'd like to cross that one out because I don't. I, I'm hoping that James didn't do that. Or James sent them in, but they acted on their own initiative to talk about circumcision, and they used him, his name, as a way to do that. You know, kind of name dropping type thing. Or James did not send them in at all, but they claimed he did. Again, just using his name as a kind of a way to to try to get influence in, in that particular location. I don't know which one of these. I just know that it caused problems. And we see here that when when um, Cephas came to Antioch, I posed him because he stood condemned. For certain men came from James, from James. He used to eat with the Gentiles. Well, here we go back to eating again, don't we? <laughs> yeah, it's back to that, you know, they, you're eating with, Peter, you're eating with uh, uncircumcised men. You shouldn't be doing that. And now he used to eat with them. So it's like it's coming, it's repeating itself. You know, where he's again being accused of eating. In this case, he was eating with uncircumcised men both times. But, you know, we thought we got rid of this, didn't we? Back in Acts 10, right? Because they said, okay, you're right. That's it. Wasn't. It continued on. And it was something that could have really hurt the church. And because of that, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid. Oh, man. Remember all those times that he was afraid? That he was told not to be afraid? Jesus kept telling him, don't be afraid. And here he is, being afraid again. Afraid. We see him being afraid because he's a sinful man and Jesus did a miracle. 
He was walking on water, got afraid of the waves, started falling, needed to be saved by Jesus. He was afraid, he and two others were afraid because of the vision that they saw, the, the transfiguration and the, the voice speaking to them. Then he was afraid and denied Christ. Peter had a struggle. I don't believe just one or two times in his life, but he had a struggle with being afraid. Even to the point where he was willing to not do what Jesus wanted him to do. And this caused other Jews at this location to join in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. So it's an interesting thing here. We have three apostles that are in this this story that are being basically a part of this this battle with the circumcision group and they're kind of given in to him. We don't know for sure about James. My hope is that he wasn't part of it. But Peter, because of these men coming from James, he separated himself, and that drew another apostle, Barnabas, and led him astray as well, and other Jews. So, how does this affect the church? If, if this had continued, how would have this affected the church? Yep. There would have been huge divisions, wouldn't there? And it would have also caused maybe the Gentiles to not actually be able to come into the church. And so maybe you and I wouldn't be here if this had not been taken care of. So then Paul says, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, again, Cephas, in front of them all, Paul knew that this needed to be taken care of, not in secret, but that everybody needed to see it, that everybody in, this, in Antioch at this point needed to know that Peter had done wrong and needed to be corrected for that. Okay. We don't see, in the scriptures, we don't see any place that Peter actually repented of this. But my hope and I, my belief is that he did. One reason is, is that the book of Galatians was written in the... Um, early, like 55 to 60 uh, A.D., Peter then writes, the first, first Peter, that, that letter, he writes somewhere around 60 to 65 A.D., so it's after Paul's letter to the Galatians. And if we look at this, Peter starts off saying, 
Peter, he calls himself Peter. An apostle of, of Jesus Christ. He's uniting himself with Jesus, not anybody else, just Jesus. And he says that, that this to the elect exile scattered throughout the province of Pontius. And what? Galatia. They would have known about him because of Paul, right? Cappadocia, Dodosia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of what? The Spirit. To be obedient to who? And sprinkled with his blood. Anything about circumcision? No. And he's writing to all of those places were places where Gentiles were at as well. So my belief is that he did repent of what he did. And that he became then finally the Peter that Jesus wanted him to be. Peter's end. Well, it's sad we don't really know what the ending is. Tradition has it that um, that he was crucified and requested to be crucified upside down. Um, and I've seen many paintings of that as a as a uh, art major. Um, and but we don't really know. There's there's no historical record that indicates it. There is some, some things that say that he might have been a prisoner in Rome at one of the prisons there. It was a prison called Mamertin Prison. Uh, but even there, we don't have any records. But that, again, it's been said that he was a prisoner there, but we don't know. Uh, that, that's from Catholic tradition, mostly. On it. Um, but we do know that Jesus said this, that when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. And that Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death that he would, which Peter would glorify God. That does fit with the idea of crucifixion, doesn't it? With the spreading of the hand. It also fits the idea of imprisonment, that you will go, someone else will dress you and you will go lead you where you do not want to go. Or he could have died an old man. Don't know. I mean, kind of happens as you, when you get older, someone else has to take care of you, doesn't it? But um, I believe that from basically what we looked at, that Peter did make the decision to follow Christ to his death, at least. How he died, we don't know. But at least he followed him to his death. So, I think that's it. Yeah, that's it. Um, that's it. That's uh, the end of the six lessons. Um, hopefully, we've all gained something from it. I, I, I learned a whole lot <laughs> from from doing this. Um, that seems to be that thing sometimes is that the, the teacher tends to learn the most <laughs> from from the lessons. 
but um, hopefully you, know, you guys got something from it as well. So, thank you. Okay, I'll just give us a closing prayer and then we can fellowship a little bit. Father, we thank you that we were able to look at Peter's journey and see that even though he made mistakes on the way, and even though he made mistakes even as an apostle, that he still loved you most of all, and that he wanted to follow you, and that he turns his life towards you and, and, and in the end dies for you. We thank you so much for being able to see that and being able to learn from it. We pray that it will help our lives and our walk with you as well. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.